Hey, it's Lexi from Lexi and Banks on Mix 107.9, and you're listening to Old You Radio, but it sounds so young. You're listening to KU Radio's only podcast, OU Radio. And it hurts so good. Listeners, and welcome to All Ute Radio with your hosts, Rebecca, Keith, and Sasha. Yes, yes. Hello, yes. Becca. How are you? Hello, listeners. Hi. It's such a beautiful <laughs> day in Salt Lake City. We have a packed show today. We have the great journalist from City Weekly, Colin Wolf, in studio now, but he'll be joining us in just a second. Yes, he will. The second half of the show, we will have the tremendously funny... I mean, brilliantly funny, Jackson Banks, alumnus of the U as of this summer. And uh, I encourage all of you to go see Ryan Hamilton and our friend of the show, Steve Solberg. Solberg. You you can't say it like that, man. You got to say it Solberg. (laughs) The man, the legend. They will be at Wise Guys West Valley Friday, Saturday, two shows, 730, 930, both days. Steve Solberg can carry an hour and 25 minutes by himself. Ryan Hamilton is uh, the next big thing in comedy. I'm going, so all of you should go. We'll take pictures with Mr. Hamilton and Solberg, of course. (laughs) I tried to get Steve to come in and plug. uh, I called him at like midnight last night. Hey, come in. Because Color Me Rat is in too. And he... Oh, look at Keith playing music that's not supposed to be playing. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> I allowed it. Yeah. And uh, so Steve Solberg, uh, I was like, dude, come in and plug your show. Like, come in at like 830. Just stop by real quick. Jackson will be in. And he goes, oh, I can't. I'm uh, I'm doing a movie. And I was like, well, what movie are you doing? He's like, oh, some type of paintball movie where I'm a stunt double a stunt double yeah how is that funny (laughs) in any way shape or form it seems like they're not using his talents well the funny thing is he's five seven and (laughs) a marathon runner and now he's like an action star paintball (laughs) stunt double i'm sorry man i I love steve solberg he sat right in the same chair that colin is sitting as one of my favorite shows ever but i'm going to be honest with you in saying that i could not see steve solberg as an action hero maybe in the same way that kevin hart is an action hero but not in a in a true like the rock dwayne johnson type way that's not him man. so with that out of the way colin wolf how are you sir I'm good. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, an honor to be here. Thank it, you. This interview is one I've been waiting for for a long time. It's either going to make me rip up my journalism degree or it's going <laughs> to cement my fortitude and my education, Colin. A lot is riding on your interview here tonight. Well, hopefully I don't fill you with uh, bitterness. And I'm a writer. I, always <laughs> have, I already have bitterness. <laughs> well, good, good. You're on the right start. <laughs> good, good, my son. He's like a Sith Lord of journalism. He's going to bring me over to the dark Embrace side. Embrace your hate. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's kind of what I do for a living. When I joke with my friends, I basically say uh, I'm just I, I complain for a living. Your lack of p- complaints <laughs> is disturbing. <laughs> if you're not complaining, you're not doing a good job. <laughs> so how would you get started in journalism? It's a brave task to go into these days. Um, yeah, I kind of got into it by accident. Um, I graduated from uh, Western Michigan University. Um, Party school? It is kind of, yeah, it's like a big public, public school in Michigan. Um, didn't really have any ambition to be a newspaper writer or really any kind of writer. I just graduated with an English degree because it was kind of easy. And then uh, I moved to California because I couldn't get a job like most writers. <laughs> and I oh, just, that's one more. Yeah, couldn't that's get right. a job. Let's, let's, chalk that, let's chalk that over there on the depression scale. Couldn't get a job, so I uh, just moved to California to be a ski bum. And uh, <laughs> one day I was just bored, and I wrote a kind of a uh, letter to the editor just complaining about his newspaper, just telling him this local newspaper that it was a terrible paper, and it was edited by, like, fifth graders and stuff like that. And uh, he thought it was funny and then uh, decided to meet up and then basically offered me a job. So, Well, that's lucky. It's, it is and lucky, awesome. yeah. And that's kind of how I got my start. Must have been um, one letter. Yeah, I mean, I did some, like, test stories and stuff for him as well, but uh, it's not the traditional route to journalism by any means. I don't recommend you doing that. Don't just (laughs) write hate letters now to newspapers. The ever-popular test story where they they take two of your stories and sell them for free. (laughs) No, I got paid for them, but... uh, You get paid for your test... See, Matt? See, that's what it's like when you're not a student (laughs) journalist. You actually get paid for your test stories. That's good. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing you take away, if you're you're about to graduate from the U, uh, my one big piece of advice, I guess, would be to never write for free. Never do what you have tons of student loans for. Never do it for free. Don't let anyone tell you that it's good exposure and you get some free pizza trade or a free concert ticket. It's not worth it. And it degrades what you do. So set me up that pitch then for, because... You know, at the U specifically, we have a lot of young students, 18, 19, 20-year-old, and I call them men and women, but really they're immature, especially in the world of capitalism. (laughs) So how does one who's timid or shy or just finding their voice as a writer or someone in film, how do you approach to say, hey, I'm not working for free, you have to pay me? Well, first of all, find out which newspapers or whatever you want to do, like, aren't paying and just ignore them. Um, that's what I would do. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I got my job at city weekly. Um, the, the short story, but basically (laughs) when I moved to Salt Lake, I picked up like every single newspaper and magazine I could find because I didn't know anything about Salt Lake. And I just read all of them for a couple of weeks and I just kept a, like a long list of story ideas, like things that other newspapers weren't writing about. Such as? Um, like a bunch of them. Uh, one of them, uh, some of them are good ideas, some are bad, you know, but you just have <laughs> a big list. And like one of them was, uh, I wanted to do a story about uh, local private investigators and go on a ride along and like catch some cheaters and figure out what it's like to be a private investigator with all the, the cheating that goes on here in Salt Lake. And that was one of my pitches to City Weekly. Um, and that was actually my first cover story for City Weekly. That was my first story for them as well. So, but you know, just take make a big list of like what you think would be a good story, and make up pitches and just send them out. You know, and that's exactly what I did with City Weekly. And uh, about eight months later, I was working full time for them. So, one of the tough things about being a journalist is finding a job. You was it your confidence that 
got you to the job? Because I know that once you really start writing professionally, it takes a while to find your voice or to trust yourself, you know, because you constantly re-edit, re-edit, and your story can get neutered, your voice can get lost. Mm -hmm. Explain this concept to me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, um, and that's one of the things I notice when we have like interns and such from the U and from BYU and Utah Valley, we have interns from all the local schools. And one of the things I think a lot of them struggle with right off the bat is writing in their voice and writing about what they're good at. For me, like, for example, uh, when I write 90% of the time, I mean, it depends on the story, of course, but 90% of the time when I write stories, I'm not like writing them to my parents. I'm like, don't care if my parents read the story. I don't write them to my past teachers. Um, I don't write it for my boss, even, to be honest with you. I, like, write stories for my friends. So that's who I'm thinking about when I'm writing stories. I'm like, will my friends, who are all these, like, cynical jerks, just like me, like, think it's cool or funny, uh, you know what I mean? So that's all I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking about, like, my old college roommates and my buddies from high school, whether or not they'll actually be entertained by this story. So, and I write to them pretty much every single time I write a story. Does that, does that give you more freedom? Is, is that the reason why you do it? Um, or does it make you feel more s- secure? Or does it make your writing more powerful? Yeah, I think, um, you know, writing for City Weekly is nice. It's an alt-weekly. Um, and being an alt-weekly, we get to have, like, a lot, of, a lot of creative space. You know, if you write for, like, the Trib or Deseret News, I'm not yeah. knocking them, but you have to fit a very specific structure. Um, the nice thing about alt-weeklies is you can kind of really explore strange stories and you can explore them in strange ways and that's one of the things i love about city weekly is i can really come up with like really absurd ways to write stories and sometimes that's like the best way to do it so So. as a how long have you been working at city weekly uh three years now yeah so somewhat somewhat of a, a seasoned writer uh what are some of the difficulties you've seen from the younger writers coming from the college ranks into the the newspaper I think uh, a lot of them, like a lot of them, what we're seeing is like there's, I think there's a kind of a, a timidness to, to pitch your ideas. You know what I mean? Because you're young and you just got out of school and you're like, there's all these old guys around me that have been doing it forever and they're constantly pumping out stories. You know, the best, like for example, like the best interns we have at City Weekly are always the ones that just come in and they're just like, I want to write about Confident. this. I want to write about this. Like this is why this person is super interesting. We should write about that. And you're like, you're not going to say no to someone that's like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like having, con- it's tough to have confidence when you're new and you're young, but like you're also, you have nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Like, and you're young too. You know more than these like 50 year old guys who've been there for 30 years, not knocking them, but you know things they don't know. You know what I mean, and that's uh, that's like one of the things you should take, you should use as your advantage. I think. So two things that we are being bombarded with as students here at the U are uh, convergence, the what some people call a ubiquitous buzzword that m- doesn't mean a lot, <laughs> and then the other thing is um, the AP style book. Yeah. So uh, first of all, a uh, convergence uh, to me when I hear it as a student, <laughs> it it it. it what I'm, I'm reading between the lines is a paper trying to pay me one salary for doing four people's jobs. They want a journalist to be the, the photographer, the videographer, the journalist, uh, and the social media liaison. So um, that, that's one thing that I, skill that I get that um, people are pushing upon us. Is that something that you've had to use as a journalist at City Weekly? You know, when I graduated from college, they didn't, they, they, they trained me on how to use Dreamweaver like 1.0. 
<laughs> and they're like, this is what a website is. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> um, I think it's getting a little better. I think schools are starting to finally kind of catch up to like what is demanded as a, for a journalist. Um, I think uh, right now the best journalists, in my opinions, are really the ones that can do it all. I mean, I know it's probably disappointing for you to say that, but like, honestly, a journalist who can take photos, good photos, edit their photos, do HTML codings, like be savvy online, know how to package a story, which I think is almost arguably more important than writing a story. Um, oh, the header and, and the, the header, is The header, the lead, yeah. the photo, the time it's posted online, how it's posted online, like all that stuff. So the, the, the writer that can understand this like full spectrum to me is the writer that's most well prepared for the field right now. Because unfortunately, we not, writers have to be journalists in general, have to be photographers. They have to be web savvy. That's just the way it is. So um, I don't think it's a bad thing either. When so, I was at ABC4 News in Utah, I was there for a little, just about a year. And it's exactly that way, Keith. You have to be a five-tool player to get a job in a top 30 market. Yeah. Now, they will give you a photographer or a videographer, and they will do most of the editing. But, in fact, the editing comes from your direction. So you have to be involved with your story at 100%. And they're telling me in the next five years that when you write a story, you're going to have to put the coding in on the side page because... For some reason, there's no money, or they're paying too much of the f- camera talent, or, or the. I don't know if it's a no money thing. I think, um, to be honest with you, like whenever I write a good story that I'm, I'm really proud of, and I want it to be to reach as many people as possible, I'm pretty much involved in every single step of that story, mm-hmm. since from the second I go reporting, go report the story to when I'm writing it to when it's getting laid out, to the social media aspect of it. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a good thing to be a micromanager because you want your story to be packaged well. You want it to be delivered well. And I'm, I'm just like anal about stuff like that. Because so. you never know who's reading. It might yeah. be the chief editor of the New York Times. Well, that pertains to a guest we had this week in, uh, in my law class. We had a uh, former mayor, Rocky Anderson, come in and talk about a journalist that had uh, likened or mistakenly uh, framed his statement saying that he compared the, L- the LDS religion to the Taliban. Now, uh, the journalist said that his editor cleverly took out some words and made it seem that way. But Rocky was, you know, you could tell he said the same thing like 20 times in a row. You could tell he was ticked off at that particular journalist. So as a young journalist, I mean, you know, I'm not Walter Cronkite. I don't have a a, a coffers and and all these type of things to shield myself from rich people. I don't want to go out and still have student loans and make an enemy out of Rocky Anderson because my editor is a jerk. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I asked him the question and I was like, hey, Rocky, man, look, you know, how do I make sure I don't get caught up with the Deseret Morning News and they have an agenda and my editor makes me look like a jerk? And he had no answer for that. man. <laughs> <laughs> my teacher, my teacher's best suggestion was save all your drafts. Well, any editor that I think completely goes behind your back and just changes a story without telling you isn't really someone you want to be working with in the future. I mean, I've never been involved with an editor like that. It, I would. I've been at two weeklies now, and I've never had an editor be like that. But, I mean, and if that's the case, then, yeah, I would just look, start looking for another job because that guy is not someone you want to be trusting your stories in by any means. <laughs> I have a question for you. When I've worked, I've worked in various places of media, and I see a lot of young kids that are afraid or timid to approach their bosses and talk to them. So 
you seem like a very confident, sure human being. Do you have issues talking to your editor or your chief editor, or, or are you able to stand your ground and and advocate for what you want to do? Uh, well, my my editor uh, at City Weekly is uh, Rachel Piper. She's a graduate of the U. Um, she worked at the Cranny yes. as, as an editor, um, and she's extremely approachable. I mean, I can pretty much go into the office and we can just hammer out ideas for a story all day and, we, and we'll disagree uh-huh. and things like that. And she's great like that. Um, but, you know, um, I have worked with editors in the past, though, that it's just like you're kind of on eggshells when you're trying to defend a story. The, the J. Jonah Jamesons? <laughs> I always wanted an editor like that. Please continue. No, but I mean, so, but... Yeah, those, those editors do exist. Um, I don't really know what the best strategy is. I mean, I've had to work under some editors like that. I mean, um, but everyone just says it's personalities, man. Like, you just got to be able to know your story, I think, is the best advice I can say, and be able to defend it, like a, like a senior thesis in college. Like, just know what you want to talk about, know how to defend it. Because an editor will blast you on every aspect of the story. Like, what about this angle? Who did you talk to? All these different goes just going down the line. So... You really have to know the topic that you're working on. And that's not that you have to be an expert on everything, you know. Oh, man. That's, like, one of the best things I love about being a writer, to be honest with you, is being a constant learner about things, like constantly learning about subjects I've never had to learn about. You know about hip-hop, and I don't know if you know about marijuana in Denver and the cannabis. I did do research. I do research on rap, too. I mean, even, even though, like... You can package a story, and, 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 so, and Keith, you could be like, man, Colin, like, really does know a lot about Riff Raff, you know? But I just read that article. But I'm, but, but I'm going to, I'll tell you, though, like, I'd spent a lot of time just, like, in, watching all of his interviews before I interviewed him, you know what I mean? And True. doing all the homework, like. True, but you have, we have, you have a base of knowledge for that. I had to do a, I had to do an article on the new remote, the new controllers that the science department was making, haptic controllers or something like that. And it was it was horrible. It was a horrible experience. <laughs> I had to I had to research like for days, and yeah, you know it, it, yeah. it wasn't it, it, the writing process wasn't bad, but the process of researching it yeah. and being more nervous. If I had to write something about the Chronic 2001, I'd be <laughs> writing my wheelhouse, you know, because I've listened to yeah. that 25,000 times. But uh, tell me, please, what your uh, despite you know doing the research, what's your writing process like? What do you do when you're you're preparing to make uh, write a story? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends, but most of the time, like I just said, I mentioned before, it's a lot of just reading, like, literally everything you can get your hands on and watching every interview or whatever you can. Um, and that means not just, like, going to Wikipedia and being like, oh, okay, like, I mean, everything. Um, and then uh, skipping the interview part, like, the actual writing process part, um, it's the way I do it, everyone's different. Like I failed my writing college classes, a couple of them <laughs> in college because I couldn't write like an outline and then do like your first draft and then a peer draft. Like I thought that was all just crap and a waste of time and I did, didn't do very well like that. Um, the way I do it basically is I just write out all my thoughts on the topic and on one word document, like every single point I wanna make and I just kind of vent on this, my computer, just everything I wanna say. And then slowly I start filling in the quotes and like filling in my interview and start building a structure out of it. It's like having a cloud of a bunch of ideas and then you just kind of like taking your hands and just mashing the cloud together until a solid form oh, starts. So to opposite. I can't I can't fill I can't write out an outline and all that and then I mean I think everyone's different, but my strategy is to just pump right. all my thoughts out and then I like to play around and move paragraphs and all that kind of stuff. Sasha channels his inner Ernest Hemingway. 
by getting sloshed <laughs> before he writes. Light up the pipe and <laughs> stir at the fire. And what has that ever been said or acknowledged? I, I hear no truthfulness. In this <laughs> I know. I, I disavow my, my earlier statements. I'm, uh, <laughs> Sasha does not get drunk. I'm suing you for slander, sir. Slander. <laughs> so we're going to go to break here in just a second. But for people that want to engage with Mr. Colin Wolf, you can find him on Twitter at WolfColin, C-O-L-I-N. He's got a great back catalog of stories he's written at City Weekly. Go to cityweekly.net slash the secret handshake. And you won't find punctuation errors. You f- won't find run-on sentences. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I've read <laughs> about 15 in the last couple of days, and I'm mightily impressed. When we get back, I want to discuss your trip to Denver and the legalization of marijuana. I want to discuss um, alternative newspapers and how the police departments, the press associations regard you whether you're second class citizens in media <laughs> um i really appreciate your kindness i want to say happy birthday to our executive producer at OU radio johnny mckeon yeah johnny yes sir Big yes ma'am he's uh doing tremendous and i hope you have the best year in your life with that you're listening to ku internet radio for students by students and we'll be right back let's go to commercials in 50 feet turn left Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in .1 miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. KU Radio wants to send you and a friend to the latest movies before they hit theaters. All summer long, we'll be giving away passes to private screenings. For a chance to win, all you have to do is listen to your favorite show. It's a summer at the movies brought to you by KU Internet Radio. Radio for students, by students. And welcome back to OU Radio. This is Sasha Bloom. In studio with me is the great Keith McDonald. How yes, are you, sir? Very well. Becca went home sick and I hope she gets better. Sad face. Yes. And the overall look point scale of this room went down drastically <laughs> in the last couple <laughs> minutes. <laughs> we still have the great Colin Wolf at Wolf Colin of City Weekly in studio. How are you? Good, sir. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for carrying over through the break. I'm very excited to hear about your trip to Denver and the legalization of marijuana. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do you ever think it's going to be legalized here in Utah? I do. Never in life. I I don't think it ever will. I do. I think. I I think maybe if it doesn't get, if marijuana doesn't get legal throughout the country, I think it will be decriminalized. I think in Utah they might like let young cancer, terminal, you know, diseased kids use it, but not like recreational use. No, they already legalized uh, some forms of marijuana for sick children exactly but for me to toke a doobie down south temple never gonna happen (laughs) no i don't think that will happen i mean the way they're doing it right now in denver is uh they're basically treating it like essentially like alcohol so you can't have like an open container so to speak like walking around you can't just walk around and smoke just like you couldn't walk around and drink a tall boy pbr out on the street um but there seems like it seems like they're doing a good job over there and like they it's 
extremely regulated and taxed and all the dispensaries have uh live feed cameras going back to the government so they're watching all these guys at all the times uh, yeah it's an interesting place for sure um what struck you the most about it just seeing people smoking weed and because i know when they go to demonstrations and stuff the cops aren't enforcing the no smoking in public rule right last year i'm sorry not last year uh on 420 of this year uh, april 20th which is like a national holiday in Denver, yeah. or a state holiday. I they had, and that, that was only a few months after they legalized it in January. Uh, they had the the most uh, arrests for public use of marijuana, and it, guess how many it was? Four. Yeah, four. Yeah, it was four. And look at the big <laughs> brain on social. <laughs> no, so th- that just shows you like how much I don't think the cops. The cops like I don't know if they really care that much about it. But there's people aren't just walking around smoking. I mean, if anything. I, I think people kind of care less, to be honest with you. Um, it's not like this Amsterdam atmosphere at all. Um, and I was kind of expecting that when I went there to write this story. I was thinking it was just going to be people smoking up all over the place. But it's kind of the opposite. Everyone's just like super chill about it and not constantly talking about it or whatever. And there's dispensaries all over the place. I mean, like every plaza, every corner has a dispensary. It's not this, you know, party atmosphere of just a marijuana explosion do you think people are waiting for that other shoe to drop or they're still getting used to it because it's kind of a new thing uh the, you know the the big thing though with the locals you know 80 percent of the money that these dispensaries right now are making are from tourists um which kind of it's kind of interesting because that that leaves t- that 20 percent of denver or you know that f- other 20 is coming from locals so where are they buying their pot they're buying their pot from their usual weed guy, you know what I mean? Because it's cheaper. It's cheaper, it's not taxed, you can sometimes get better better marijuana. Um, so they don't even really care. Like we crashed at some friend's house there and they were growing six plants in their house because they could, that's legal for them to do. Um, and their house was just filled with marijuana. There was just jars of nugs kind of laying around and you lean up against the couch and there's like weed stuck to your shirt. <laughs> I mean, they, they just don't care, you know what I mean? And they're not, you know, cause if you, in, in Denver it's different city every city has a different tax in denver it's 30 percent and now now there's a different tax for recreational and medical as well Yeah, medical is like it depends on the city again medical is a little less actually a lot less uh the taxes but for recreational it's 30 percent and like an ounce of marijuana in denver right now is going for about 400 400 dollars which is insane and that's not including tax so then i mean you can get an ounce of marijuana from sketchy steve here (laughs) in utah for like 200 bucks so you know there's pros and cons you know but it's erased their school debt i think they've paid off is that correct they've paid off Uh, most of their school they're still ranked pretty terribly in terms of uh funding for public schools just like utah i think that's going to change though Mm -hmm. obviously because we're just seeing the beginning of it i mean they made they made i think it was like two million in taxes in the first month alone um, that's supposedly going to schools. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they changed their mind on that and that money started going somewhere else. That's usually what happens when they like hit a big PAX payday and they're like, oh man, this should be going to somewhere else. Schools are usually kind of the last to really hang on to that kind of funding, unfortunately. But we'll see what happens. I, I mean, I don't think that they're kind of living in like a fantasy land right now, too. I think that was like one of the, my big takeaways when I was there. I mean, everyone's just throwing money at the industry right now. You know, if, if it's not dispensaries, or like bong shops it's like weed related stuff like 
you know. Edibles. Uh, no, 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 not even that close. Like limos, food that you can smoke in, bed and breakfasts, that are bud and breakfasts. <laughs> um, bud and smoking, breakfast? Like vape, vape lounges. I mean, people want to build, people are cashing in on every every aspect of that industry, even if it's like five, five steps removed. You know what I mean? So there's so much money being thrown at, at Denver right now because of that. You know, in Washington, in July... They're gonna start. They're gonna open their first recreational shop, just like Denver. So that's is that gonna affect their tourism, which is eighty percent, you know, in Denver. You're like, yeah, absolutely. At one of the dispensaries I was at, what, I met a lady, and she was like, "I'm like, where are you from?" She's like, "Oh, well, me and my cousin here, we just flew in for the weekend from Orlando, you know." And I'm just like, "Dang, <laughs> you flew all the way here from Orlando?" Yeah. I mean, people are gonna start going to other states once it, once it gets legalized. So you were saying that uh, a lot of entities are throwing money into. The marijuana business now. I talked to you on KRCL a couple weeks ago, and you were mentioning that not all of these businesses are legitimate. Tell me about how the black market or the <laughs> mafia and these these other robbers or whatever are getting into well, this. Well, I mean, they're legitimate. Um, the problem with all these dispensaries is they're making so much money they don't know what to do with it. And the um, banks generally aren't letting them cash that money. Correct. Like, yeah. banks are federally backed, so they can't necessarily put their money for too long into a federal bank account uh, because it, it could get seized. I mean, would Obama go in there and seize the, all that money? I don't know. Probably not. But the, you don't want to risk that if you're making hand, hand over fist every day. Um, so they're making so much money, they don't really know where to put it. So a lot of these guys, are it's not really money laundering. It's kind of like a gray area in between money laundering and actually... But if you're from a cartel in South America, it's a great way to launder money. Yeah, the, basically, it's, it's these a great way to launder weed. These dispensaries mm-hmm. are pretty much opening accounts and then leaving them open for about six months and funneling money through it and then moving it to another place. That's kind of, and they're just constantly moving their money. Now, they're either doing that, which isn't illegal, um, it's just a little strange, you know, uh, they're either doing that or they're reinvesting the money back into themselves like almost every single dispensary we went to w- was doubling in size the moment we were there like there was a whole nother back wing being built mm-hmm. you know what i mean because if you can't if you can't put the money anywhere you can't bury it in your backyard you can't put it under the mattress you might as well invest it into invest it back into yourself so they're paying contractors and all these kind of things to build these giant grow rooms that are it's extremely elaborate this, there's one dispensary in particular in there in denver called medicine man and they have more weed coming out their front door every day than any other place in the world, according to them. Um, and it was hard to kind of dispute that because, I mean, it was, uh, it's a massive facility. And it's right off the highway by the, by the airport. So, <laughs> One of the concerns that you see popping up by national neuro- neurologists is DAPS. Or uh, for anyone that doesn't know what DAPS is, it's marijuana that's had all the THC pulled out. It gets mixed with propane and almost becomes a liquid type substance that's smoked with a vaporizer. Did you, in your articles, did you talk to anyone about DAPS? Uh, yes, we did. Um, we didn't spend too much time in the, in the article talking about it, but that being said, it's they're everywhere. I mean, every single dispensary or store was selling uh, wax in some shape or form. Um, it's also like the biggest bang for your buck too. You can get a lot of concentrated marijuana for very, very cheap. And it's also discreet. It doesn't make you smell. So it's uh, just like e-cigs, like it's a very popular thing right now. But it's very potent. And with uh, developing brains, they're saying that it's causing seizures. It's causing huge depressions because the dopamine and serotonin levels really fluctuate with 
the high concentration. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of uh, plays out here in the next few months, um, especially with Washington legalizing it, um, and more people are going to be using it there as well. If they already aren't, I would I'd be surprised if they weren't. Um, but you know, the wax, the whole wax thing, it's been around for a while now. So so is edibles, sure. and I think with tourists, they just get excited and they're like, oh, this would be a cool way to. I should eat a brownie. Like Maureen Dowd from New York Times went to Denver and ate an entire brownie that was supposed to be broken into 16 pieces. So she ate, <laughs> she probably ate like a half ounce of marijuana. And then she wrote this story for the New York Times that was just like, marijuana is just, oh my God, I was hallucinating. And it was terrible. And it's like, no kidding. Like you, you're an idiot. You didn't even read the directions. So I think there, it's going to be, I don't think, you know, it's going to be a labeling thing. They're going to just educating the public to not be dumb. I mean, it's like, it's like, if you came from Mars, right, and you your ship landed over in South Valley or whatever, and you get out and you go to the liquor store and you're like, huh, I see people like tequila, and you just drink the whole bottle of tequila. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you're going to have a terrible night. <laughs> you know? But you also, but we know better not to drink an entire bottle of tequila, and it doesn't actually say that on a bottle of tequila not to drink the whole thing, I don't think. Do you think it's a good thing for humans to have freedom of use with marijuana? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't really smoke marijuana, to be honest with you. Um, I have in the past. I typically don't. Um, I'm not against it or anything. I think people should just be able to do whatever they want, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's such a harmless thing. We have so many people in prison right now and wasting tons of money in our prison system, uh, incarcerating these people who got caught with like a half, half ounce of weed or whatever. And I think that's a huge waste of time and money. Eventually, like we kind of said in the beginning of the segment, like I think it will be legal everywhere once... Because I think all these states are going to see what Denver's doing, what Colorado's doing, what Washington's do, about to do. And uh, the money the money's going to be too good to turn down. So I know you have to leave here in a minute. Uh, where, when does this article come out for City Weekly? comes out next week. Um, it's called Gone to Pot. Gone and to Pot? Gone to Pot. I like that name. Gone to Pot. And it's about crossing the border, going into Colorado. Uh, so real quick. You work for an alternative news source. How are you treated uh, when you go to big press conferences, when you're meeting with the police departments? Are you treated fairly? Are you respected by the Tribune and Deseret and all the other uh, television outlets? Um, I don't really know what, how they think about us per se, but I do know, I mean, like we have a good relationships with all the papers. Um, you know, uh, Scott Renshaw, our A&E editor, he goes on, I think it's KUTV, once a week and does like a movie segment. You know, um, Bill Frost, our TV editor, he goes on and talks TV on X96 all the time. Um, in terms of like getting, working with like the, the mayor and the police department, our news reporters, Stephen Dark and Eric Peterson, those guys have great relationships with all their correspondents and getting grandma requests and things like that. So it doesn't seem like there's any kind of difference. Um, I've never been like, oh, you work for City Weekly. I don't know if we're gonna talk to you. I've never experienced that. I don't. Th it, maybe it does exist. Um, City Weekly is in a nice precarious. We're in a nice situation. We're not quite the Tribune. We're not quite the Deseret News. If someone writes about, if we write about Mormonism, for example, uh, the Mormons are gonna see what we had to say about it, and the non-Mormons are gonna see what we had to say about it. That is, that, you know, it's not quite the same for like all the other newspapers, so. Well, I definitely think the, the Daily Utah Chronicle has problems with legitimacy and respect amongst the other 
media outlets. Well, that, that has to do with editing issues and not taking the time to be diligent on what you're saying and fact-checking. And, that and you know, what the great thing about the U and having one of the longest-running papers in the state of Utah and west of the Mississippi, like the Chronicle has, and the amount of talent that the Chronicle has popped out throughout the world. I mean, Matthew Brin's the chief editor of The Advocate, on and on and on and on. But they have that privilege to make these mistakes here at the U. And, and in some cases, it's not fair for professional journalists to bash them. I think that they're young students, and they should be treated that way. When I was when I was first starting out my first paper, I made so many mistakes, and I was luckily I was getting paid to make those mistakes. But man, I almost got canned so many times for making dumb, dumb, mm -hmm. like, like dumb what? journalist mistakes. Like what? Oh man, like I interviewed this guy, this Grammy-winning blues artist once, and I'm not gonna say his name because, but it was bad. I basically asked him like some really inappropriate questions because just about his alcoholism or something. Yes, actually. You're <laughs> Bleeding like gums murphy. You're like reading my mind right now. <laughs> Bleeding gums murphy. And he's like, I don't, I don't drink anymore, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, he was married. One of his, his wife was the daughter of a very famous A-list actor who's been around forever. And I was asking him all these questions. Buddy guy. <laughs> <laughs> and basically what happened was he was headlining a blues fest in our town. And he threatened to not show up and perform unless I was fired. And um, <laughs> so, like, all the sponsors and stuff are calling my boss, and they're like, who is this guy? Like, like what? You know, like, you need to fire, you need to get rid of this guy. And my boss didn't fire me, thank God. But uh, he uh, had to rewrite the story and, like, write an apology letter. And <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a lot less... Uh a lot less dramatic than I thought it would be, man. Who at Bleeding Gums Murphy needs to get over himself. <laughs> Just let you write your story. But yeah, you make a lot of mistakes in the beginning, and uh, and that, I guess that's one of the great things about college papers too. Is like you know you can you can't make a huge mistake, but you can you can make some little mistakes. Oh, I've made huge ones. <laughs> I'm just so um, one thing I wanted to leave with, and I think it's probably the most interesting topic uh, to talk about as far as a writer is is the people that you've upset and made extremely <laughs> angry. Uh, there's a uh, among you know I think we're in the same circle of people we, we we associate with the same people and among our circle of friends a big joke in the hip-hop community is i'm not a number four rapper <sighs> i'm a number one rapper uh colin had did a review of uh uh, of hip-hop albums for the year 2013 and um had put a list together i thought it was a good list um i think he had concise kilgore at number one number one it? for the Kill number Wave one series yeah that's what I would have put at number one. I mean, that's that's probably you know I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know uh, play favorites, but that that's who I would have put at number one. I thought it was a fair list, but you wrote it. I assume you wrote it in a place of peace and 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 and, and goodwill, and it set off a storm of hatred. How do you deal with that? Do you think um, that's a sign of you doing a good job, or do you yeah. think that's a kind of like something you want to take and look at and and reevaluate? You know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun story to write. Um, basically, I, I, I think if, if you can incite any kind of emotion out of your readers, I think you're doing a good job. Um, did I like, if you go out and you're just trying to pick fights with people, then that's not really the right approach. But if you write something and you back it and you feel strongly about it and people get upset about it and they contact you and they're com making, you know, and they're having debates about it, then that's a good story, whether it's about rap or whatever. Um, I think the fact of the matter is you have to be able to defend it. You know, and that's what like those listicle stories are like. Those are meant to like stir up controversy. Like, there's nothing worse than seeing like a a, a list like the top ten albums of 2013, and they're like not ranked. I'm like, man, rank them, man. Come on, <laughs> step up, man. Just rank it. 
just rank it. Like, piss off some people. Rank it. <laughs> so that's what I did. I was just like, whatever, man. I'm just going to rank it. And, uh, yeah, a couple people got upset about it, but whatever. I mean, that's okay. So that's all right. You, you review music. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we talked about um, off off air was how to get your music reviewed by City Weekly and not get it thrown in the trash. <laughs> I think a lot of pe- a lot of listeners that we have uh, have friends that do music. They might do music themselves, and they want to submit music either to K Radio or City Weekly to be reviewed. Yeah. Now you went over two distinct ways, uh, <laughs> uh, two distinct things you can do. One way you can do to get your stuff canned and never reviewed, and one way you can you know ensure that it might be considered. So I. I Maybe you can describe that for our listeners. I will say, um, first off, the, our editorial department is super small. Um, if, it, if we're just talking about rap specifically, there's only two people that are probably going to write about it. It's either going to be me or our music editor, Colby Stonehawker. So that's two people. Um, we get a ton of stuff daily, you know, all the time. Um, so we can only go through, like, so many things. Um, you know, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, like, make everybody happy. Um, if you... You gotta understand, like we're just normal people who just are listening to an album just like everybody else. I think the, my best advice to like local artists who like want to get some more press, be it from City Weekly or from you guys or anyone, is just make yourself accessible. Have a website. Have your album, have your album ready to be streamed. Be be available for press stuff. You know, what I mean, just make yourself available to the press. Like a lot of people don't understand that like we're not necessarily tools for the artists. You know what I mean? We're not. I'm not a tool for a rapper to like go off and make a million dollars. Like I have a job to do too. So, you know, so does every other music writer. So if someone flakes out on you or they like don't tune you in their album in time, I got to move on to the next guy. You know what I mean? So does everybody else. I mean, I'm sure you experience the same thing on the radio station. If someone cans like cancels on you, like you're not going to invite that guy back. No, no, definitely not. No, no. And I'm not going to spin their music either. No. (laughs) And you're going to like that guy scorned me. So whatever, you know, (laughs) like, and it's not from ego, it's to protect the show or to protect your brand. Because right. once you get the, the idea that you can be flaked on, you're done. And I mean, there's a lot of r- rappers and musicians and stuff that I've wanted to write about, but they were just like too much of a pain to like work with just on the, just to get, hey, can I talk, can I interview for like 15 minutes on Wednesday? Like, okay. And then, and then the time passes and I had to like scramble and write another story and then I'll hear from him again like a month later like what's up man like what was up with that story I'm like I, are you kidding me like are you joking like, you <laughs> oh me? my goodness I feel you so much on that yeah one, so I mean uh just be available to the press make make your stuff put your stuff out there so they can hear it you know what I mean you know like, to, to and, it, and it shames me to say this and have to admit this but it's a big problem in the hip-hop community I get I get uh rock bands and every rock band in the tri-state area has sent us music but I hear about a release of a hip-hop album here, and I'm like, hey, can I get you on my show? You want to send your music up here, some edits so I can spin it, and then no no response. Yeah, I know. I've seen, I've heard people like complain to me like, man, City Weekly like doesn't write about rap music. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, mm-hmm. we do like almost every week, and you sh- why didn't you send us an album? Like, you could have sent us an album. And you know what? The same acts that you've uh, written about, uh, Dine Crew, Better Taste Bureau, uh, people like that. They're the same people that come here for our Lunchbox series because we can depend on them. They make good music, and they don't make us label their CDs. They come labeled, and I don't have to spend an, half an well, hour. And they just hustle, and they want to get exposure, and they make it easy. For you. Make, they make your job easy. Yeah, Dine Crew sent one of their crew over to Uprock when I was there on a bike to send me a copy of their CD. See, that's what I'm talking that's about. That's respect, man. man. Yeah. That's hustle, man. <laughs> yeah, that's I real hustle. It. Speaking of respect, 
I respect your journal, Mr. Colin Wolf. I appreciate you. you coming to the University of Utah Definitely. and educating our young journalists. With that, follow Colin Wolf at Wolf Colin, C O L I N. Enjoy his journalism at cityweekly.net slash the secret handshake. And if you're not, you're missing out because you have, uh, y- you articulate the world with a very good perception. <laughs> and that's important. So thank, thank you. you. No, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Great. And we will be back uh, in about 30 minutes. We will have the very funny Jackson Banks in. And maybe during the when we get back, we'll talk about Mr. LeBron James. Oh, yes. You know I love him. <laughs> you know I love him. Sweet. I appreciate all of you, and thank you for listening. Hello, this is Chris Hollifield, host of the I Am Salt Lake podcast. This is Old U Radio. This is our podcast. Listen live Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6 to 9 p.m. Download our podcast on iTunes or find it on kuradio.org. Hello and welcome back to All Ute Radio. I am Sasha. My co-host is Keith McDonald. How are you, sir? I am here and I'm in the flesh, so (laughs) I can't complain. We have alumnus of the U, alumnus of KU Internet Radio, coming back to KU Internet Radio, mm-hmm. Jackson Banks. Let me, I, I always like to, to describe our guests, for, I mean, our guests for our listeners, <laughs> and, and the, the phrase that I've, I've come up with for Jackson's uh, fashion statement today is Mr. Furley Swag. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a Mr. Yeah. Furley suit right there. If I've ever seen one, if you don't know, because we have some younger listeners, uh, Sasha, they're not our age; they're a little younger than us. Three's Company. You have to watch Three's Company. <laughs> if if you like uh, sitcoms about uh, sexual tension, uh, lesbians, uh, uh, old creepy creepy guys that try to catch them in action, I am all of those things. <laughs> You know, you need to watch that. And then he has a sleazy friend that comes by, and he never gets any action, man. Yeah, he, that's me. But you're Mr. Furley, dude. You're not the sleazy friend. I'm not the sleazy guy? No, he's got his hair all, like, slicked back and all of that. And he's, no, you don't have the slicked back hair. You got the Mr. Furley suit on, man. Yeah. The Mr. Furley. All you need is, like, a face where you can, like, bug your eyes out. Like, Mr. <laughs> there it is. A.K.A. Yeah, Mr. Furley. Nailed AKA, it. A.K.A. King of all the hobos. Yeah. For all you listeners out there, the eye-popping was really good. <laughs> Epic yeah, eye-popping. I, uh, I had a little movie shoot today. That's why I'm in this attire. Yeah, so explain to us about that. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. How'd your uh, movie shoot go? Was it your first one? Oh, no. it was. Uh, I was a film major, you see. So it was probably my 100th, millionth, you know, whatever. It's like second nature now. Um, no, I, uh, I'm playing my, I invented a stand-up alter ego called Mark Molasses. <laughs> and he talks like this. And every, all of his jokes cannot be repeated on this station. He's a very nasty, awful man. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? <laughs> I'm running for president. I don't need to deal with this. I love it, man. I love it. That's him. So what, what was your role like? Can you, can you give us some information on your role in this movie? I can. Uh, Mark Molasses makes a deal with the devil. Um, and uh, the devil comes to collect. He makes a deal with the devil to become the world's greatest comedian. The devil comes to collect his soul, and Mark Molasses calls on his only friend, Michelangelo's David, to save him. It's called, it's called Mark Molasses and Michelangelo's David, colon, the adventures of Mark Molasses and Michelangelo's David. So wait, wait, wait. 
Michelangelo's David is a statue. Yeah, he and whenever um, a sincere heart calls to him, he animates himself and he comes and helps. That the is the key component I was missing out of there that because I was like, I was David going to help you. Yeah, but yes, that that sounds very very weird and interesting. It should be actually. fun. Yeah. So so uh, if I'm thinking of this right, Michelangelo's David doesn't have arms, does he? He does. He has arms. He's, he's got. That's I think we're thinking of. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the, got arms. He's, he's the one like, with the leaf on his. On his jump over no, his... No, there's no leaf. There's man. no leaf. It's just... He's, he's hanging out. Just f- f- free yeah, he's got free his ride. arms. Yeah, his arms are there. Okay. He's, he's, he's not like the one without the arms. Stretching. So he can help you with his arms when he animates. Yeah, he's a very strong man. Okay. It's, it's my the uh, arms broken or by vandals? That's what I was thinking, but he's saying this the wrong one. We're thinking the wrong one. I think they replaced him. Yes, I think but at one point they were broken. So I think there's two images, one with arms and one without arms, possibly. That's what I was thinking of. Thanks for but saying that. But I am me. dumb, so. No, no, no. This <laughs> one is the one with arms. It's the one where the guy has his his right arm down by his uh, inner thigh, his right arm curled up towards his chin, and his junk is prominently displayed on this one. No leaf. No <laughs> yeah, it's out. It's, it's, it's actually, just junk. Michelangelo sculpted the head to be bigger than the rest of the body because he knew that the spectators would be looking up to a head that was far above them. So the large head looks proportionate, but it is not. Wow, that's an interesting <laughs> tidbit on that. Yeah. I, I just, you know, when I look at stuff like this, I always wonder about, you know, how long it took them to master their craft to become this exquisite at it. Uh, relating that to, to comedy, how go. long did it take you? Did you like my segue there? Uh, relating that to comedy, how long did it take you to practice your craft until you became confident enough to get on that wise guy stage and rip it apart? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, before wise guys, I had done stand up um, mostly in my college. So, not it's Our not college? really my SUU. I went to oh. SUU initially and did my generals there, and that's where I first tried it. So, I mean, it was stand-up, and it went well, but it wasn't as brutal as, like, the club grind. And so I, w- I went in, like, feeling very confident. And at first, it wasn't as easy as I thought it would be, but then it was, like, way easy. So one question I ask every, every comic that comes in here. What? What's the difference between being funny ha-ha in the lunchroom and bringing that to a set and being funny? Because a lot um, of guys are funny in the lunchroom, but they can't be funny in a, on a set, a five-minute set. Um. I don't know. It's uh, I think it, it comes down to knowing someone. Like when your friend is ha ha funny in the lunchroom, it's because you kind of get where they're coming from, and that's one of the tricks of stand up is to establish your sense of humor quickly, and then the audience kind of feels like they know you, and then you've won them over, and you can get away with maybe less good jokes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's not like it's not easy. It's just I mean it's going good. I like it, but the stand up has been good to me. Okay. Okay. So I don't. I don't want to kind of forecast your future, mm-hmm. but in there's definitely a group of conventions that come with being a comic. Certain things that mm-hmm. you know are are sort of commonplace in the in the field. Yeah. So um, with you moving to L.A., the first thing I think about is you know you're gonna go out there and you know. Uh, Start dating an aspiring actress, pick up a couple Hopefully. bad habits, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you know, drink a lot of alcohol, and you mm-hmm. know, spend the first couple of weeks in seedy alleyways and stuff like that. Um, um, are you what, what's your what's your lifestyle like outside of comedy? Are you very uh, you know Mormon values? Do you do you kind of you know stray towards uh, the the more eclectic? 
Eclectic is definitely how I would describe my lifestyle. No, I'm trying to get the partying super hard and living in alleyways out of the way this summer so I can get down to business. When (laughs) When you get to LA? Yeah. The parties are going to be too epically just crazy to like, have you been like, what what kind of travel have you done before this? Is it like LA's old hat to you or? Uh, No, actually, last time I was in LA was my senior trek. I was at Universal Studios and Disneyland. And that's what I think of when I, I just picture doing stand-up at Disneyland. Oh, yeah, it's going to be way, way <laughs> less shiny and okay. safe than that. <laughs> well, that's a bummer. I just wanted to be in Space Mountain, like, and they're just cruising through, and a spotlight hits me. I'm like, you ever notice? Hey, you want to hear a joke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, isn't Space kooky? So, <laughs> so who's, we'll your, back. who's your favorite comic besides yourself, or uh, besides anybody at Wise Guys or anybody around here that we've been? Who's, like, your famous, favorite famous comic? As far as favorite famous comics, there's I mean there's a there's a range right now. Um, I mean a lot of people choose him, but I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Hedberg at this point, mostly because I kind of relate to him being kind of like a a shy like weirdo. Like when I'm in the zone, I'm not really doing crowd work. I'm just like doing my thing and I'm kind of jittery and I'm just kind of barreling through. The you got set. the little Kramer thing going with the jitter thing. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it and works because you have great patience on stage, and you have great timing, and you have tall you're tall and you have the gaze effect right mm. like gaze have you heard the of the gaze, gaze effect? effect what is the gaze okay. not multiple people of uh, that like the same sex but no 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 with z-e man. g-a-z-e <laughs> so that's what i thought we had, we had this great politician and i will put it on the end of our podcast for the people okay. that haven't heard it before but so basically there's a legislator in utah that he was a real heavy set guy and very tall mm-hmm. and he tried to pass laws for the obese people that employers had to buy chairs or that they had to get uh, doorways taller and he referred to people that had long arms and long limbs as a gaze effect because the smaller human being would be marveled by their length of statue so the hence we have the gaze effect and you have that with your height and length like a statue up there. Like st- <laughs> no. Like Michelangelo's David up there, <laughs> which is why he chose your pure heart to help you yeah, out. Speak of the devil. Speak of the devil. So um, what are some of the, the comedies that you've – are you a fan of uh, comedies as a movie genre? Oh, yeah, definitely. I love comedies. So who do you, who, who do you uh, you know, if they come out with a movie, you got to go see it? Um, Let's see. I haven't been following movie. I've been following more television comedy so lately. It, within sitcoms, then take it. Um, take that. I mean, Arrested Development's great just because like the actors look like they're having so much fun, and you just like you know, playing any of those characters. Because Larry play. David has the money to get all the great comics to come on his show. <laughs> yeah, well, that's Curb. Oh, that's Curb. Curb Arrested Development is the one, one is in, in Philly. Great. Yeah, with with Danny DeVito. That one is always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I can't get it. Which one is Arrested okay. Development? <laughs> Arrested Development was the one that was on for three seasons. It was about the Bluth family, and you've got Will Arnett and uh, what is his name? David Cross. He's a good comic as well. Oh, he's old school. He's it's funny. like a, it's an ensemble comedy kind of show. You're not familiar? Oh, I have. No, David Cross is hysterical. Yeah, he's great. Um, there's that. Um, comedy Bang Bang's awesome. Yes. I got to meet Reggie Watts in Portland. That was rad. I blew his mind. <laughs> How was your trip to Portland? You won that one, didn't you? No, I no, did not. You won the I one have, in New I've York? never won anything in oh. my life. I came. Portland was just a festival. Okay. Um, New York, I came like this close to winning. It was super painful and awesome at the same time. 
So basically, it was like that competition. Um, did, is this gonna be boring if I go no, to this? No, okay, please do. Okay, okay. So that competition, um, it's 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 super legit. Like you do two five minute sets in the quarters and the semifinals, and you have to have new material every round. If you repeat one joke, you're disqualified. Mm-hmm. So I made it to the finals, and then I had to have a ten minute set of my C material, and so I was just like, I just want to not bomb. That was my goal, and I went up. And I had to like one of the best sets of my life. It went really well. And then I ran out of time. I was two minutes short, and I kind of fumbled around a little bit and didn't end on the best note. And so I was disqualified because mm-hmm. I did not fill the time. And then the officiator was like, you were two minutes from winning. So oh, it, was, it was a bummer. bummer. I was, I was, it was raw. It were was, you, was, was it just WWE nerves raw. that kept you? Because they, they don't have a clock up there for you, do they? It, it was just I, – I, there were just – a bunch of jokes that I forgot to put on the list, but basically I timed it out and I was like, this is, I was planning for like barely being able to fit it in 10 minutes uh-huh. and it ended up being short. And that's oh. when I was like spacing on stage and it was, but that's a good learning experience. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Can you do a full hour? I, I not there yet. No. no. Where are you I at? Did, um, I can, I'm working on getting my 30. I can do 30, okay. but not as smoothly as I would like. So when you have that hour long thing, mm-hmm. The number one, the, when you have that hour-long special, the number one thing I'm going to look for is what wardrobe you pick. Because if you look at my favorite comics, Martin Lawrence, uh, Eddie Murphy, every time they do their hour-long set, they come out in a leather suit, man. Mm-hmm. I dig that. I, I don't know why <laughs> it's a leather suit. Like they, they always come out. Or if you've ever seen my, my favorite of all time, Richard Pryor, he, they always come out with like some ostentatious red suit, red top, red pants, yeah. all of that. Yeah, that's I could what see, I like to... I could see you coming out in like a mariachi band member's probably. garb or something like that. It's probably going to get more absurd as time goes on. Right now, I like my official comedy outfit is my red suede jacket. <laughs> red suede? So, so, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's that's how I like to rock it. With I'm, the... Uh, with a Corinthian leather, Corinthian <laughs> leather. It's yes. got to be Corinthian leather. Vest. Yeah, helps me get weird. <laughs> so, tell me about. I, I, I like to ask uh, writers and artists this. Tell me about your creative process. How do you hmm. find the funny? Where do you search for the funny at? Um, I don't know. It changes. I think, uh, like in the past, it was um, kind of just like kind of escapist, kind of just like surreal. Anything that would be kind of like exciting or like take me out of the daily grind, which it still is. And then I had, like, a conversation with a comic about how, like, I was like, I'm in it for the escapism. And he was like, I'm in it for the satire. And I was, like, I was kind of shaken up by that. And I thought about all my jokes, all my good jokes. And I realized that they were all kind of about something. You know what I mean? They always had a a deeper subtext. And I realized that I could turn all my pain into funny. And now there's a lot of pain in there, a lot of suffering. So... I, I feel you as an awkward, an awkward individual mm-hmm. as well. Oh, it yeah. has trouble with women. Oh, yeah, there and, you go. And, and I didn't even, I didn't have to. You didn't even have to read my mind. Well, when you, you just when you put me. the one about you know how you would approach uh, asking out the girl for that first date and how a normal guy does it, you know. Oh yeah. And you said that you know when she comes back, you just be exposed to her. Oh, I actually, yeah. I actually experienced that in the military <laughs> uh, with one of my colleagues doing that to a girl, and oh, we had to do instant uh, public relations yeah. for him because yeah. she was extremely offended. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't get that. See, that that joke my, is. Mainly just making fun of that whole just like... No, he wasn't making fun. He seriously exposed yeah, yeah, himself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But my thing is, you know, um, I walk around campus and girls have exposed their buttocks and their breasts like 
all the time. I've seen girls with shorts that are shorter than my underwear, That's and awesome. it shocks me. It's like it's, it's awesome. awesome. <laughs> I, I like it, but as men, I mean, if uh, shouldn't we be able to Torture. show a little cle- cleavage? You know? Yeah, yeah. I, would I mean, like to. I, I bet you Sasha has a, 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 a some nice legs, man. Maybe he wants to show it off for the ladies. You know? Yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, men can 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 cavort about with basically everything, but you know the. The, the the shorts area exposed like men can go shirtless pretty yeah we, I guess we, we, we can sh- shirtless anytime we want you to you can't moose knuckle though that's not you don't want to like crotch cleavage though <laughs> no. that's like the only other thing we could go is like maybe show like the very yeah the but root. i mean you know if if one thing is on you know inbounds everything should be in bounds why do people hate testes man our testes are just the same as any uh, other i don't, I don't anyway. like testes but my <laughs> testes everybody likes their own testes man uh, no, I, I You'd rather do without your the, testes. I acknowledge them for the freakish balls of life that they are. I bet you if I stomped on your testes right now, you would appreciate them oh, more. Boy. Yeah, I would, maybe. <laughs> that's, that's Look, safe. I'm sorry, testes, don't leave. Don't leave don't me. Go. Yes, you never. You won't miss them until they're gone, man. Yeah. So let's take this on a much better route now. Oh, we're going to bring this back, huh? Let's bring it back. Got, Sasha's about to kill me right I got now. a question for you. Okay. I work professionally as a videographer. Awesome. Um, in media, you are a film guy. Mm-hmm. How important is composition to you? How important is lighting to you? Because when I go on YouTube, when I watch predominantly uh, web series, mm-hmm. they're not fulfilling decency and etiquette with the camera. Um, I, I do my best. Lighting <laughs> is my... Are you talking about my videos specifically? Your, your thoughts and theories on lighting and... You know, really being taking the time to find good shots with the camera, going out at the appropriate times, whether it's early in the morning or yeah. late afternoons. Um, you've got to, I've always liked it to be a mix. So I've always, I mean, you've got to, like when you're making your film, you've, you need lighting. And that composition is very important to me. Like every shot needs to be like very interesting. You've got to mm-hmm. keep it interesting visually. Um, and I, and I struggle with that. I've always got to keep an open mind because I'm, I've, because I'm writing like comedies, I focus on the dialogue. So I'm just like, get head and shoulders here, head and shoulders here. And uh, so I have other friends kind of come in and like suggest a little better shots. But I, I have a good sense of composition. And yeah, I'm definitely a stickler for like, get tight in there for the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And lighting is definitely my weak point. It's my least favorite part of filming. Because I like having the option for spontaneity. You know? Sure. It's fun to be like, let's grab the camera, let's do something right now. And sadly, like, because you need like proper lighting, um, it's harder to be as fluid. But I think as the technology progresses, it'll be more possible to to go on the fly. Do you do wide, tight mediums like with your cuts in, in terms of, so if you're shooting, let's say a guy up on stage to make it simple, mm-hmm. you'll take the wide shot so that you see most of his body and then the next frame will be a tight up on maybe from his shoulders to his head. And then you go back to a medium, mm-hmm. then to a wide, then to do you do all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You want to get mm-hmm. some variety in there. I like that. Um, do you do one camera shoots or do you have multiple camera shoots? Do you include GoPros and iPhones and all this stuff? Um, I mean, you should definitely have two, two angles if you can. Lately, I wasn't, I wasn't, my last shoot for my thesis, I had to just stick to the one camera. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's always good to have a second angle. And that that cuts your film time in half because you get stuff from, you know, I, you know, different angles. I've you get uh, it quicker. I've done a lot of um, minor TV stuff, you know, five minute videos, nice. editing commercials and stuff. 
I can't, I love editing audio. I hate editing television. And it's weird because I got a job as a editor. I had a job offer to be a lead editor. Hmm. And in the back of my head, I was like, I don't want to do this. I, got, I, I hate editing video. Do you enjoy editing video? I do. I like it a lot. I think I have a knack for it. Like I, I can, I know how to keep things moving quickly. Mm-hmm. I've got a good sense of pace, I feel like. But I get stumped and stuff will just sit on my computer for months unless I have a deadline because I'll, I'll hit a roadblock and then I'll just walk away for, that's what Mark Twain used to do. He'd get stumped and he'd throw it in the drawer, come sure. back years later and finish it. So, no, I, I like editing a lot. Like, I, I really love, you know, getting in there and, and trying things out. But it's when I've realized I have two different avenues that I could take to edit that I just kind of, like, throw my hands up. And Are you an Avid guy, pre- Adobe Premiere, Final Cut? I guess they still have Final Cut. Right now I'm using Premiere. Nice. Yeah. I enjoy that. So we're going to go to break here in All just right. a second. We're going to come back with you in studio. Before we go there, I want to give out some plugs. Where are you going to be Friday and Saturday this weekend? Uh, Friday night, uh, 8 p.m., Metro Bar is doing its final comedy show. Ever? Yeah, I guess they're moving it from its location, or they're not doing comedy shows in there, but it's the last one. It's the big one. And the booker wanted me to tell everyone uh, just $5 to get in. Booze is cheaper than sin, he said. <laughs> and that's on 540 West. No, sin is pretty cheap these days. Mm-hmm. So that's cheap booze. <laughs> it's on 540 West, 200 South, uh, 8 p.m. tomorrow night. And then Saturday, K-Town Comedy Bash. And that is 3849 West, 5400, 5400 South, Taylorsville, Utah. Um, it's at a place called Club DJs. Nice. And, and then that's, uh, that's a good one. And then you're at Jaxy Banksy, J-A-C-K-Z-Y-B-A-N-K-S-Y on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're funny on Twitter. Oh, thank you. We need to get you more followers because you're too great not to have oh, thousands geez. of them. <laughs> have you ever been confused with the Banksy graph artist? Uh, yeah, people sometimes make that joke and I say, I don't know what you're talking about. And I go and I tear his street art down because I'm tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a good artist? Drawing-wise? Yes. No, but my mother is a painter. Oh, we should get her to be the local Banksy. Yeah, I'll just I'll use her skills and just be like, Mom, <laughs> make me some street art yes. now. now. You never do anything for me. You don't care. <laughs> I think it'll work out. Have you ever had that? Well, your mom's an artist, so you didn't mm-hmm. have to have that, Mom, I need to practice on my art. You didn't have to do that for her, I'd assume, because she understands being yeah, an artist. Yeah, she kind of got it. She got it. I don't know how seriously took, she took it, but she would be like, one time she was like, Jack, I'm glad you do movies and not drugs. And <laughs> now I do both. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With that, we will be right back. We appreciate you. This is All Ute Radio here at KU Internet Radio. Stay tuned. I'm ABC4 Utah's Nadia Crow on KUTE Radio, radio for students by students. And I will lead the poor and the middle class and the oppressed and I will take the rich out of their decadentness and I will drag them down into the hell that they intended for us. No longer will deers look at us with a smug sense of satisfaction. No longer will they rule the forest with an iron fist. Today, 
his man's day. Tune in to Jackie's World, Fridays, 5 to 8 p.m. on KUTE Radio. Welcome back. This is Old Ute Radio here at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. As always on Thursday, I have the great Keith McDonald in studio. Yes, yes. On Tuesdays, I have am privileged to have the beautiful Rebecca Schlander as Yikes. Host. Beautiful. Beautiful, oh, man. Stunning. You missed it. Yeah. Stunning. You missed it. The the point ratio of our looks just went down oh, uh, immeasurably. Yeah. So she, she wanted to stick around and meet me. She yes. did, but no. she was she no. was she was intimidated. No. She would in, she was intimidated by the furliness of your swag. <laughs> I've been told I'm intimidated to I'm intimidating to women, mostly just because they don't know what I'm talking about. She loved your photos on your Facebook page. I guess it's at Jackson Banks oh, or something. I guess she was gonna like, take some more. She, she, <laughs> she was like, he's a foxy babe. He's a really? Foxy babe. Yeah. Don't lie to me, man. No, don't lie to me, man. Jackie, very lonely. <laughs> Whatever, man. Once you co- once you go to to Los Angeles, what you do is you act like a clueless Mormon. He's like, I don't know anything. I'm LDS. I'm Mormon, <laughs> and the girls are gonna eat you alive. They're gonna be like, he is. Pure as the driven snow. Virgin. Yeah, they're just going <laughs> to eat you alive like like the succubus that they are. Yeah. I ain't never done nothing like this before. <laughs> oh, oh, you're doing it right now? That's great. <laughs> hey, so um, Los Angeles, man, do you yes. have things booked already? Or are you just um, going out there cold and, and making it with the dollar uh-huh. and a dream? We'll see. Um, I've got, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a industry guy out there who likes me. He's like, whenever you're out in Los Angeles, let me know. So we got a good rep pour. We'll see where that goes. And then, and then, uh, and then the club owner here was like, "Hey, I'll try and hook you up with some stuff when you're out in LA." And I was like, "That's great." So, if you go to keyradio.org, you can go into the archives and find our interviews with Andy Gold and Marty Archibald. They went to New York. Uh-huh. As uh, did I. They had their ups and downs. Yeah, it's They rough. came back. They did. And they explain it in there. I don't want to paraphrase from them because I don't remember. But they basically said that what Keith Stubbs does in Utah for the young comics, you won't find anywhere else in the world. And I know we have Brian Pope out there. And if you go to I Am Salt Lake's uh, podcast, he talked about how successful he was doing. You know, Chris said, hey, you know, it might not be the truth. But Patrick, Rim- <laughs> no, that's like he said it on our airway, man. We had uh, the great Chris Hollyfield co-hosting. I think he did three or four shows this summer. You know, so we talked about it. It's 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 out there. But then we've had Andy Gold and Patrick Ramirez talk about how phenomenal it is to go to L.A. Mm, they enjoyed it. That's yes. good. Because I've I hear the consensus. Because I've been asking kind of obsessively at comics, all the comics I've met in my in my travels. And a lot of them seem to think that New York is the incubator that you should go to develop yourself. Yes. And or LA, Boston. Yeah, yeah. And L.A. is the place where you go when you're ready to, like, sell it. But I've also heard that if you want to do anything besides stand-up, like maybe write or act or do movies or whatever, you should go to L.A., which is I also like doing that kind of stuff. I like to, 
I like them to be together. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do just stand up. Just because, um, I don't know, it's nice to have an outlet where you don't need the immediate, like, crowd, like, broad reaction. You know what I mean? It's nice to be able to, like, space out and explore and be introverted and do stuff that's so weird. You know no one's going to get it, but you just enjoy making it. Which is what I do with stand up, and luckily people are into it. So, movies. Movies. Um, movies. I, I see I see in the, the comedy sphere that you would have a little more creative. Uh, autonomy in that but in the movies you're searching for roles it's a different animal Um, one thing i i I want i wonder about comedians and young actors is uh especially the males is uh you know what what are you going to do when that pile of money comes are you going to dress can you can you see yourself putting a dress on and playing a big mama's house type role or Uh, you know uh two-man foo type wesley snipes and woody harrelson Mm. in a dress could they get you in that or what are some of the things you won't do I mean, I wouldn't do a movie like Wong Fu. That was a good one. I mean, it depends. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be involved in the writing of what I'm in. I wouldn't, I would prefer, I mean, that's, it's asking a lot, but I prefer them not to be like, hey, you, you want to say this? It's funny, you know? I would, I want to be into it. But um, um, I don't know. I, I'd want to be in a, like, like maybe a Tim and Eric-esque, maybe like something like that. Comedy Bang Bang is a cool show. Stuff like that where it's kind of non sequitur, like it can get a little weird. That's kind of my preferred, I think, uh, medium. So our executive producer, Booker, former co-host, Johnny McKeon, I'm sure you know him. McKeon? Yes. He was in the Warner Brothers script writing program for years, got into like the top 5%. Is that anything that you've ever thought about doing? Basically what you do is you, they'll give you like, here's, write an episode of Workaholics, right? Oh, cool. Then you send it in. And you literally compete with thousands and thousands of people that do the same thing. If you get high enough, then they start working with you on how to write it better, how to script it better. And they do workshops and seminars, and it's not expensive. Hmm. But it might be a good outlet to talk to Johnny about that because he, he just raves about it. Yeah, I should. I'm always uh, I'm a little, I'm a little uh, um, hot-headed. I'm always reluctant about entering a seminar. Where someone tells me how to do stuff. Because of your ego or having them steal concept ideas from you or? Um, I think it's a, it's a mix of ego and just like, because I, di- I didn't uh, like get into this kind of stuff so that I could learn the right way to do it. You know what I mean? I did it so I could explore and maybe not have rules and kind of figure it out. Because you're an artist, yes. Yeah, so there's a reluctance to like, do a workshop where okay. where it's like the goal is in the seminar is to make like because then at the end of the seminar you have a bunch of writers who all maybe feel the same way about writing i don't think that that's a wrong approach i i think that if you have the confidence if you have the right techniques if you're really willing to buy and sell yourself i think that's a smart avenue but i think for people that don't have that internal confidence those things are a good tool yeah, well, I don't, I'm not knocking it. I think it is useful, and I should look into that and maybe try some stuff out. But I'm always, I'm always like, I'm reluctant. But the man keeping me down, <laughs> telling me what to write, getting in my head, Manchurian candidate yes. type stuff, man. No, I believe that. It's but, you know, you always have Michelangelo's David to come I, save the day. I always have Michelangelo's David to come save the day. I think that'd be you got to do some some weightlifting, man. If you want to be compared to such a statuesque physique, man, well, no, he to... is my he is my f- 
my friend. I he does the he carries me into the sunset. I don't have to be big. <laughs> Wait, so 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 he's kind of like your uh, he's kind of like your ET type thing, like you know, but only bigger and stronger. Like he's your pet liaison type thing. I don't understand. The, that was like we actually did a shot like that where we touched fingers. We you did going, that. We were going for the painting, you know, where God's reaching out to Adam and we touched fingers. The Sixteenth so Chapel. I'll run it. Yeah, I'll run it by. Uh, I'll run it by Jonathan and see if he maybe wants to have the statue of David like be able to bring plants back to life and we're like no what would be cool is if you had him hiding in a group of of uh stuffed animals like ET that would be so dope man (laughs) (laughs) put a little hood over him yeah that would be rad I wish we had the time it's like a fight it's for a little competition it's all Jonathan's child and I'm just kind of along for the ride but once the competition's done I think the movie has potential to be expanded and be made art instead of uh, some product and some meat market of, of cinema just slapped on the table and, and packaged and, and, and thrown out and, and, and yeah you know what I'm going with this you know what I'm saying I have a question for you here did you enjoy your time as a film student here oh good one because I've heard mixed things about the film department one of the big problems I had being a communication student here was how and I have many professors that disagree with me, and I still and I have challenged them back on what I'm about to say, but I don't believe there's transparency between the film department and the communication department, especially nah. with technology. No, there, there, there was never like, hey, call the communication department or work with the or work, get the film kids to help you out with the project, and vice versa. Yeah, because the communication is very good at teaching the technical aspects of camera work of editing of yeah. this and that but they don't teach you about the artsy creativeness of film you know i think we need a, a a college on the campus or entity on the campus that connects all of the colleges yeah uh, there, there's no there's no uh there's no communication there's no interconnectivity there's no bonding or, or, or yeah, shared is, resources no it's very your that that's one of the things i think that might have, because uh, I did SU and I was doing generals, so I saw all kinds of kids all the time, and then I came here and I was just doing film, and you just don't meet all the people that are going to the U. You know what I no. mean? It would be nice to have a little more of that. Maybe I should have been in the fraternity. No, <laughs> please no. You think I would have done well yes. in the fraternity? It depends on which one, man. It really depends on which one. And I started one. It was called Academic Apocalypse. <laughs> I've always wanted to incite a frat war between the frats. You know? Oh, and then you could play Pink Floyd. We don't need no, your education. Hey, that stop would, hazing kids. That would it's be totally unnecessary. <laughs> you would be such a pariah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not going to help you get more dates, man. No. <laughs> talking about talking about social change does not help us get more dates. Well, it no. does in the well, rest of the, the country. With the right ladies, yeah. With the right ladies, it's like few and far between. With the ladies that got maybe the side of the head buzzed. Yeah, you go to Berkeley, Portland, Seattle. You're in yeah, good form. Maybe I did go to school in the wrong Boise. place because it uh, <laughs> it is uh, it's dry as bone down here. <laughs> <laughs> it is dry as bone. No, you got to get married first, man. It'll open wide up for you, man. <laughs> you got to you got to be betrothed you, first were you were you married man are you married man no no lord no you were a married man i was a married man before Sash, you were i was okay that's it was the most both, horrible experience of my life huh you're both divorcees no i have a son but i've uh, always escaped marriage by the 
by the sadness of my I heart. I did not. The f- well, at least now you never have to say my ex-wife. The yeah. funniest my part of my blight. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> As I cried myself in the corner in the fetal position. See, with me though, mine was interesting because I got married as I'm non-religious. I'm I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a very spiritual person, but I don't yeah. I don't subscribe to organized religion. Yeah. And my my ex-wife is a devout or was a de- devout Muslim. So you got this black guy, this African American in a do rag yeah. in this mosque in front of a whole bunch of Middle Easterners. It was very interesting. They called it the double header because they had to bless me, they had to bless me into the Islamic church and then I got married. So it was it was very interesting. Um, was it, uh, did it create friction in the marriage? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I pr- probably not more than any, any uh, you know, other traditional American man- marriage. One thing that That's I noticed good. about, that I love about my Muslim uh, mother-in-laws is, I was always right. Whenever my ex-wife complained to my mother-in-law, she would tell her to shut up and give me more sex. Uh, Marry a Muslim. Well, uh, there you go. <laughs> I loved my mother-in-law. I love you, Ma. Ami. I love you. <laughs> Lambs in the kitchen, tigers in the bedroom. That's what they say about. <laughs> no, she was a tiger everywhere. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> she, I have the scars to prove it. So, um, <laughs> all right. Back on this. Back on this comedy. Like those religious girls. Yeah. Back on this comedy bet. <laughs> Please, okay. Send hate mail. To at Keith underscore McDonald underscore on Twitter. Hey, I didn't stance. condone it. I didn't deserve her to be. I didn't tell her to be quiet and give me more sex. That's what her mom said. All I right. do not condone it. I I always told her to yeah. express her civil liberties. Don't get yeah. me in there, man. I'm not a, a, an evil Islamic man. But you're you're kind of on the fence. You were like, well, I don't want to oppress women, but if it, no, 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 does. dude. She would iron my underwear. Mm. Like if you have you ever got up in the morning, had your whole outfit pressed and put on a, a steaming hot pair of underwear, it's not pretty pleasant. It's not very pleasant. It I is like when that. you're in warm Chicago, undies. Yeah. I would love to have some warm undies. They were hot undies though. <laughs> nice. I don't know. I don't I'm not I'm not a fan of hot undies. Like uh, just a lot of things that American men don't don't, you know, require of their wives she would do and I would I I would say to myself like or I would say to her like, you know, you don't you don't have to do this, you know. I I can cook my own food sometimes. I can clean the kitchen sometimes. So I was very progressive. I did not keep her in the in the, you know, the ways of Islam but when she was in America. Sometimes is once a month for you that you're going to clean the kitchen. Most yeah. women want their kitchen cleaned daily, twice mm-hmm. a day. See, mm-hmm. Sasha's obviously been to my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm a slob too. And, 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 and you know, we're men. Yes, we're, we're we men. You know, that's everything what you, in her path. It's, it's 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 better than you know the men in her family though. The men in her family don't know how to boil water. They've never given their women a, a back massage or a foot massage ever. I gave my my wife yeah, a foot massage. Reciprocity, man. And I'm all a generous. Of the, He's a he's a giver. Jack of he's hearts, a, man. He's a giver. I want to give you a massage, maybe make some chocolates of my own. You know what I mean? Like, I want to open up a chocolate shop. Only you're allowed in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, but when you I'm turn not, around, it's not an innuendo. I'm talking about. <laughs> You're a poet. It, it would be an Indian-do if I said I was going to open up <laughs> a chocolate. No, but 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 if you go to his chocolate shop and you turn your back to throw the wrapper in the garbage, he might be exposed when you turn yourself around. So don't <laughs> you, <laughs> referring to your joke about yeah. the AIDS cure, man. I'm just joking. Man. Yeah. He's not going to do that. Oh, yeah, I was offended and I was like, oh, one of my jokes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was supposed. I was complimenting you. I remember your jokes, man. Thanks, man. I remember. That's a, I'm going to try that one more. 
I that's I don't do that one very much. Well, before we, uh, you know, we're we're running out of time, but no, before before (laughs) I want to I want to I want to play another one of your clips just because I've been talking too much and I I I I like your voice. I want to I want to see your well I want to have the people hear your voice and your comedic genius. So let's go into one of your clips. This is girl girls who are into crystals. It sounds funny already. Oh man, you want to you want to preface this? (laughs) That's the one you. This is the one you want to play? Yes. Okay. So uh, it was kind of spontaneous because some kid at the open mic talked about girls who were into crystals. And I had this experience. There was a girl I was into. And she was just like, I like you. Let's go. You know, and we were like, I was like, okay, she likes me. I thought that we were courting. And, and <laughs> she was in super into crystals, like way into it. They once gave me a crystal seance. And it was cool. It got me in touch with my inner Jackie, but after the seance, they took the rocks they used and like put it out in the rain to wash it of like my <laughs> the bad stuff that they took out of me. Oh, it was, it was all right. It was. Just, I guess I maybe shouldn't have taken offense because it was like, "Well, you think I'm dirty? You want to wash the crystals?" <laughs> um, but basically, I, I got her this big, like ugly purple, like crystal ring. <laughs> and I was like, hey, An amethyst you, I got this for you for Christmas. And she was like, I don't know what's in this rock. And she like, threw it, <laughs> she threw it back at me. She threw it back at me. Um, and then, and then, yeah. And uh, it exploded it like, and evil spirits flew out. Nope, of it. I, I actually, I actually took it to my friend's wedding that month. And I was like, you should put this on your thing. You regifted it. I regifted it and I made it a, a sex toy. <laughs> With that, let's go on to girls who are into crystals. Oh, man. Jackson Banks here. We weren't actually dating. That's, and we were kind of dating. And uh, so for Christmas, I got her this big crystal ring. And I gave it to her. And she was like, I don't know what kind of rock that is. And she threw it away. <laughs> and then and she just kind of like, she kind of broke it off. So from now on, I just drive by her house and throw mysterious rocks through her window. <laughs> Bad vibes are coming your way, babe. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. If you ever see a guy throwing rocks through windows, man, it might be, it might it might be, be Jenks and Banks. Vengeance. I just thought of a new how I could expand it because when I make it, I give it to my friend as a sex toy, it actually gives a... Uh, Maybe kid will go either good or bad. His his wife lives forever, or she immediately <laughs> turned into a skeleton, An like evil. like Indiana Jones. I, I was thinking I chose more, poorly. <laughs> I, I was thinking more of the spirits. She was afraid the spirits would come out of the stone and possess her with in an evil manner. You know that was the fear that she had. Yeah, bad vibes like could be bad rock. I guess like could be bad for her. Basically, was her fear. That's just that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So so yeah, um, listen to someone talk about it uh, quite literally for seven hours while high, and uh, you you won't be as intrigued. She must have been be- very very beautiful. <laughs> she was exactly <laughs> enough said. She is. Uh, I don't, hopefully, she's not tuned in right now. But you know what? That's how I feel. I was hurt. Um, moving on. <laughs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> that was an excellent segue there. Excellent segue. Um, we're we're doing fine, man. We're we're wrapping up summer semester uh, in a few weeks, in about a month, and we're we're plugging away at the summer schedule of uh, I love shows. Summer. Yeah, I love and it's the summer. summer forever. Now that I'm a graduated. Yeah, it is. Uh, thanks for rubbing it in with me with one more semester to go. I graduate in December. Well, there you go. You one know, and I could be an artist like you. I can write and go all over the world and. 
you know, uh, shirk my responsibilities a little bit longer until I have to really get yeah. a big boy job. I mean, I'm not messing with you. There's the debt, like, I've got many debts of facing me, but that's it. Like, mm-hmm. I just, like, money's tight. I scrambled to pay the bills, and after that, I can do whatever I want, and do it's amazing. You, do you know that, uh, well, first of all, I only took two years worth of loans, so I'm not that far in, you know? I only mm-hmm. had to take, like, three semesters worth of loans. Not that far in. But did you know if you go into the 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 nonprofit sector that you can forego your loans? So all you got to do is start a nonprofit comedy college for kids, and then you don't have to pay your debt back. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you can do it like that one uh, sitcom where he had the homeless people out of his apartment, but there was only like two beds in there. <laughs> you got like two kids. That sounds good. I got 10 grand a, a coming. 10 grand is a coming. For debts? Yeah. That's, you're, you're, you made it out good though, man. Mo- yeah, a but lot of I could have gotten out totally clean and I didn't. I was a fool. <laughs> what did you do? What, what mistake did you make? I was supposed make? to get a transfer scholarship from SUU to the U and I didn't. I failed. And then I ended up getting 10 grand in debt. Ouch. <laughs> but I mean. You know, you, but see. I'm you, afraid. You got years of deferments ahead of you, sir. <laughs> yes, that is I true. <laughs> and you know what? When you make your first comedy special and they put that two million on your table, it'll be nothing. You no, know? you put that in your contract. Uh, oh. You take off my, you pay for you my pay student. You pay for my student yeah. loan. Yeah. Well, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> Uncle Sam, I have something. I throw it through Uncle Sam's window. <laughs> yeah. Just a brick. Just shh, 10 grand. You got to put it. You got to put an evil spirit rock attached <laughs> to it, too. <laughs> so. Usurp. So we're going to hop on out of here s- no, shortly. I we, don't want to go. Well, then we can go to break and I can restart this recorder and we can carry forward if you want. But at some point I have to fix the recording. Otherwise, we're going to lose all of it. And I don't want to do okay. that to you. Well, you, f- you do what you got to do. If the time is up, the time is up and I must return to my life. <laughs> so, but you're going to come back to KU, Yes. Yes, let's do it, because I love radio, and if I can have you to do the actual work, and I just have fun, <laughs> that's my... That sounds like an advantage. That sounds like good stuff. Hey, it's good for me, too, because it gives me a producer's credit. It's and, like when and you st- have fun. Yeah, it's like when Steve Solberg said, hey, can you produce my CD? I said, yes, I will. And he goes, can I pay you? I said, no, Steve, you're a friend. So there you go. If, I, if people have trust passion, me, I was not going to offer you anything. I'm not going <laughs> to offer you um, because I'm broke. I would Did you love, see my debt? I love. I was the guy, man. I had all the the, the 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 grants, and I was rolling in dough. I was buying people dinner, buying them shots, getting them laid. No, I don't have that kind. Here's of. the great thing about me: when I meet people that have passion and are serious about fulfilling their dreams. I will let them stand on my shoulders and I will do everything in my world to help them out because I'm a human being. And at the end of the day, planet Earth needs more human beings. Well, so. thank you for welcoming me to your planet world. Earth needs yes. more kind and responsible human beings. We like don't need us. a lot more of people. Put our though. fists together. <laughs> kind, responsible. Super friends. <laughs> <laughs> so. This weekend, Friday, where are you going to be, sir? And where are you going to be on Saturday? The Metro Bar, 8 p.m. That's 540 West, 200 South. It's yes. the final comedy show at the Metro Bar. It gets a little rowdy. Be there or be square. ready for it. Be there or be square. Saturday, it's the K-Town Summer Comedy Bash. And it is, uh, it's in Taylorsville. Uh, I'm waiting for the exact address. It's in Taylorsville. Sure. Look it up. K-Town Comedy we'll Bash, 7.30 p.m. Saturday. And address, stay on target. Stay on target. Stay on target. (laughs) 
It's at a Club DJs, it's called, so you can look that up. And uh, 3849 West, 5400 South, Taylorsville, Utah. It is rowdy towdy. Um, uh, you're gonna you're gonna expand your mind. You're gonna you're gonna blow a few circuits coming to this comedy show, and you're gonna come back a better man. That's what I say. Yes, and after you're done seeing the great Jackson Banks, pop over to Wise Guys. Go see Ryan Hamilton, Steve Solberg. They're there Friday, Saturday, two shows, seven thirty, nine thirty. Wait, where are they? Wise Guys West Village. This weekend? Yeah. They're doing a duo, or is he opening? Uh, Steve's opening for Hamilton. Oh, but, that's this weekend. Yeah, but Steve's a big friend of our show, and he's just like you. He's he he is funny as they get. So. Oh, he's he's great. I but I think that the times work out where you can catch both events, your shows and their shows because uh, they got yeah, that nine thirty show. They got that nine thirty yeah. show. Yes. So, um, you can you can do both double dip. You really should because uh, the comics work so hard for you. So we work so do hard it, for please. You. Follow him at Jack C Banks on Twitter. Jackson Banks, or just look up Jackson Banks on Twitter. Um, <laughs> there's uh, some good stuff on there. Yes. No. Oh, yeah. We really appreciate you. We've been talking internally about having you on for months now. And, oh wow! Uh, hey, wow! Thank you. We're happy. I'd be happy to be back anytime. I've had a blast. But we will make sure that happens. No, I don't want to go back in the dark. Don't make me be <laughs> alone. Don't make me be alone. And then you cut it right there. Cut it off. <laughs> Height discrimination in employment. At first blush, the concept of, of real height discrimination is almost laughable. After all, we do not typically think of height when we discuss types of discrimination. Yet there is no denying that we place a high premium on height, be it social, sexual, or economic, and our preference for height pervades almost every aspect of our, our lives. Economist John Kenneth Galbraith, who towers at 6 foot 8 inches, describes the favored treatment we afford taller people as one of the most blatant and... Uh, forgiven prejudices in our society. If you don't believe it, consider uh, yourself if you'd like to be taller and try putting a finger on the reason why you'd like to be taller. We engage in gaze behavior, a primitive way of establishing social hierarchies on the basis of whether we are looking up or down on another whenever we encounter someone. To those we look down on, we ascribe less social power and negative character traits. We even afford short people less personal space. Those who look up, however, enjoy the halo effect. No matter its source, the problem is prejudice. Height-based prejudice permeates employment decisions, perhaps as much as, as, as race and gender. It begins with hiring, for example. 